0: Hey there. Welcome to our AP Legal Zone podcast brought to you by AP Lawyers. We are your top picks for all weekly law updates, including family, immigration, wills, and estates law. Just a friendly reminder, we are not your lawyers and everything contained in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and not to be construed as legal advice. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay connected with any updates and get notified about our new episodes. Hi everyone, my name is Shereen Napti, and I'm joined with Angela Princewill and today's topic is going to be about parenting, specifically decision-making responsibilities and parenting time. So Angela, what are decision-making responsibilities?
1: So yeah, in a family law context, um, when we're thinking about decision-making responsibilities, we're really thinking about major decisions, right? So this is different from the sort of day-to-day decisions um, regarding the care of children. We're thinking about major decisions, and, and we think in terms of broad headings, like, you know, religion, health, education, extracurricular um, activities. Now, we will talk a little bit more um, later about sort of day-to-day decisions, but when it comes to, um, you know, major decisions. and what kind of options? I'm gonna throw this back at you. What kind of options are available to parties separating um, for? I guess structuring something that works for their family.
0: Yeah. So there's actually several different options, and I think that's also a common misconception: is that you know it could be just one party having you know sole decision making part uh, decision making responsibilities, or the other option is joint. There's actually another option as well and that's splits. So sole is really where You know, if after consulting with the other party that you can't make that final decision, that party will be able to, the other party will then be able to make that final decision. Split is where you can actually split the decisions in those four broad categories that Angela just spoke about. So maybe one party can have education and healthcare and the other party can have religion and extracurricular activities. Often, I'm sure that leads to conflict, but we'll talk about that shortly after.
1: Actually, I'm going to talk about that now, Cherie, because... (laughs) Uh, I mean, split seems like a simple way for, for you to just solve the problem, right? If, if we can't um, decide on, on decisions, let's just, let's just split it and be done with it.
0: Yeah, or if they're like a very contentious relationship where, you know, it doesn't make sense for you guys to come to the decision together.
1: Yeah, so be careful, um, I guess is the, is the caution that we're, is the watchword here, because at, um, a lot of these decisions are not that um clean cut right at what point does a decision regarding education also it could also be a a religious decision so I'll, i'll give an example if you know, you're deciding on what school a child should attend, should attend and one parent wants Catholic school and the other wants one, one wants public school. Well, is Catholic school a decision about education or is it one about religion, right? Because once you bring in that religious school component to it, then you're entering the realm of decision, but it's school, so it's education. Or even extracurricular and health, for example. You know, one parent may have very strong views about the health consequences of certain like sporting activities for example so if there's a huge conflict and and it's viewed as a healthcare decision well if another party has extracurricular um decision making like final responsible final responsibilities there you could see how these things can create conflict so While we've told you that there's options for you, and it's not just, you know, when you end a relationship, it doesn't mean that one person just gets to make all the decisions. And it also doesn't mean that you guys must have a joint um, decision-making responsibilities. You can have split, but whatever option you choose, you have to be mindful.
0: Yeah, so there's definitely, like, the overlap consideration there. So if you want maybe a specific decision on a very specific area, be prepared to make that very specific provision in a court order or in an agreement because that has been given rise to several different issues Mm -hmm. um, in the past and obviously going forward, especially with the COVID vaccine coming up and things like that. So um, you also touched on the last one, which was the joint decision making responsibility so that both parties together have to make that final decision so in in making major decisions, so that's another uh, component to how you can actually structure the decision making responsibility. And I
1: think I mean I per, and I think I want to add here that joint decision making is, or equal decision making responsibilities is, is the default under the law where there's no order or or something else um or agreement right made between the parties so you both as parents have equal rights to make decisions for the child subject to a court ordering um otherwise or you guys agreeing to do things differently um i know that something that always bothers people when they think in terms of decision making responsibilities is they think of it as a sort of a right it's my right it's my child and so um. I you have it, the, the act lists this as it's an obligation, it's a responsibility. So you have to kind of view it that way and we're we're going to talk touch on how, you know, the best interest of the child being the primary consideration, but it's a responsibility. Actually, having said that, this kind of leads me to something I wanna mention because in our I think it was actually episode one, Shereen, we had talked about the changes to the divorce act and in the past, you know, we talked about custody and access and it created a lot of conflict. So now we're speaking in terms the acts changed, and so if you don't really know what we're talking about, go back to episode one where we talk about divorce act changes, and Sharon and I, um, kind of went over custody and access and the new terminology. But again, the courts have made it very clear that we should, when we think decision making for children, it's a responsibility, and um you know that's not just not just the right answering i don't know if you want to touch on this but i, I think a concern people generally had was if one person has decision making responsibility whether in, on for all major decisions or on just some does that mean i don't know i'm out of touch with what's happening to my child um, in that regard?
0: No, so absolutely not. So even if you have the sole decision making responsibility in an, in, in an area or in just in general, it doesn't it doesn't mean that there's no obligation for you to consult the other party. And depending on the terms of your court order and agreement, it may mean a meaningful consultation. So yeah. it's not just, okay, yeah, uh, he said no, so I'm going to make a final decision and I'm going to just enroll him in school you know Mm -hmm. uh, uh, of my choosing it doesn't work that way unfortunately you do have to consult with the other party you have to have you have the obligation to do so prior to making a decision and then in addition to that there's also the right that both parents have for information so this is actually a common thing that i've um, come across with my clients as well where you know the maybe the other party made a decision or is not allowing them to have like the child's report cards or medical records but under the law, you actually have a right to those records, those third-party records. So you can call the doctor's office and you can let them know. Listen, I am, you know, X is parent, and I need to get, you know, the most recent medical report or the lab report or anything that you need or any uh, meaningful advice and information that you need for from their doctor, from their school provider, from their educators or anyone that's working with your
1: child. And and if you're if you're the parent that has um, you know, sole decision making responsibility. I think part of with that, part of that with what comes with that is also an obligation to inform the other parent about decisions that you've made and things yes, like and that. Yes, and share the
0: information that you've received. So if you've received the report card, um then it's under your obligation to usually share that same record with the other parent. Yes. And those progress reports or whatever need be. Yeah. Um, So I I think with um, decision-making responsibility comes day-to-day decisions. And I think this is the most misunderstood concept because even though you have final decision-making responsibility in a a particular area or in general, it doesn't mean that you get to make all those decisions. Those only apply to, as Angela said, major decisions.
1: Yes. I think there's a lot of day-to-day decisions that people kind of lose sight of. And I mean, I, I honestly pay a lot of... I I think it takes the day-to-day decisions, in my opinion, is actually... More important. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't want to say it just like that. I
0: think they're quite important. I
1: think so. I think so. I strongly... I feel that as children grow, there's, you know, the the day-to-day is what shapes them, right? And from day-to-day decisions, we mean things like what time do they go to bed, you know, their routines. What kind of food are you feeding yeah, how them? how long are
0: they going to spend on their homework? Um, what time do they spend? Time
1: spent on devices. It's that's a major one, one, you know? You so, know,
0: sometimes other, the other parent wants to regulate so much of the other parent's time, when in reality, that's actually not in their authority to do so. Yes,
1: yeah, so, so when you have yeah. parenting time, with that comes your right to make those day-to-day decisions. And I think, and that's something that I try to to let clients know. And it's no one size fit all. I... You know if i if in trying to resolve conflict sometimes you have to look at what are we trying to accomplish here so if a parent is fixated on on having decision-making responsibility depending on where the child is the stage of in the child's life sometimes you may it may not even be that significant right if the child's already going to this Catholic school and you both you know both parents already are in agreement that the child would attend this school until they go to high school next door, then education for the most part is really not an area of conflict, right? Now clearly if the child needs support that the child isn't getting it doesn't matter if one parent has decision-making responsibilities you have to if you have to go to court to make sure that that party your child gets the support they need it doesn't matter whether they have soul or whatever that's your obligation as a parent
0: yeah with things like professionals um working with your children for doctors I usually would add um, for, I guess, agreements or court orders is that, you know, it has to be, your decision has to be in line with what the professional recommends. So if so, they recommend yeah. that your child needs a tutor, I mean, it's it's not going to be a difficulty. Well, we imagine. We it's imagine. Not going to be so
1: useful. in some cases, I, I well, as a general rule, I feel like <laughs> when the children are younger and there's a lot of transition, so we're looking at from daycare to kindergarten, to, then I find that major decisions come a lot more the. There's, um, you know, the decision between registering the child for ballet versus I don't know, karate could be a huge one. But when they're a little bit older, so they're 12 years old, they're already or even in grade six or whatever, then a lot of times the decisions with, say, extracurriculars is driven by the child's interests. Right. They're the healthcare decisions, as you said. Most people would defer to the professionals and things like that. So in those cases, when it doesn't look like and again we're just speculating we could be wrong you know but we're just speculating that in some of these cases maybe fighting so much over decision making responsibilities might not be the best priority for you yeah if you have all of the parenting time you want and the ability to shape the child's life on a day-to-day you might actually accomplish your goals that way and forget about those few decisions yeah, you might
0: actually be surprised that major decisions don't come about as much because even mm-hmm. in I actually had a file recently um, in mediation and the mediator asked well they were actually very polarized on the issue of um, decision making responsibility obviously one party wanted to have sole decision the other wanted joint um, mm-hmm. and in that case the mediator asked well how how in this you know past year or two that you've been separated how many decisions have you had to have made and Funny enough, none. Absolutely none. <laughs> that's interesting. So, and then it kind of helped them work their way around maybe a joint parenting um, mm-hmm. decision-making responsibility because I don't think you realize that it doesn't come out as often as you think it does.
1: The day-to-day is, is
0: where is where the bulk yeah. of the parenting would actually come into place. Yeah. Like, as you said, that's really where you can actually shape your child. Um, and I think a lot of the problems we have is sometimes... While we like to keep both households in line with each other, you know, especially if there's there if there's a young child and there's a potty training schedule, mm-hmm. um, you want the other party to adhere to it because all of your efforts in you know potty training the child yeah. are, would go to waste if the other party's not doing their part. So things like that make sense, but when you're regulating to an extent, the exact ability for that person to make those day to day to day decisions is actually not appropriate.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I remember once I had a matter and. And my, my client wanted to limit parenting time because of what, of the dietary, I don't know, choices and choices in the other home. And, and honestly, I understand she wanted to, from her perspective, I could see where she was coming from. She's like, well, he never has time. He's buying them fast food. They're getting candy. They're doing this. And. She's like, you know what? He currently has every other weekend and a few days during the week. So maybe we should limit that so that I make sure that every day I can ensure because I am a stay at home mom, that they have a healthy home cooked meal, every, you know, every day. Can I appreciate that? Absolutely. Is it great <laughs> for the kids? Of course. Did the courts share my appreciation? No, because <laughs> you know what? They're like, that doesn't Especially matter. It's like,
0: such a small, a smaller amount of parenting window. It's, it's, a yeah. Little, it's, it's
1: and again, the child we, we need to remember, like, and we're gonna to touch on the maximum contact and um, principle um shortly, but the the importance of a child having, you know, impute the impute of both parents, um parenting time with both parents, it's so important that honestly, much as I appreciate the the other like some minor irritations, that's the way the courts I, I appreciate how frustrating it could be. But the courts is going to treat it like that for the most part, because the child benefits more in the big, bigger picture from having that relationship and having that input from the other parent as unwelcome as it might be to the other party sometime.
0: Yeah. So don't believe that, you know, you're entitled to the day to day decisions in both households. That's not going to be the case. Yes. Um, and again, these decisions need to be inconsistent with the best interest that we um, will the, talk about exactly. later. But, and then, and then you'll kind of get hopefully a better understanding of what that really entails.
1: Yeah. So, Lizzie. We'll
0: be... So, parenting time. Yeah. Formerly known as Access. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people think, thankfully, I think it's just now more easier to follow along. So, if you did listen to our episode one, where we talked about the changes, um, parenting time it's just it's simple you understand but exactly. it's the time that you're actually spending with and the I child and i didn't
1: like the idea of access so when we talked about it exactly. it's almost like i'm getting access to my child it's just there was just something with the custody and access terminology that never really worked for me honestly so i yeah. really like these changes <laughs> it was just
0: meant to be more inclusive yes. and then you know it didn't polarize the the terminology was really outdated
1: yeah so, i agree so I agree. we're glad
0: we're finally in a place that represents us (laughs) Um, so parenting time um how how do we deal with that uh
1: in so many ways (laughs) there's so many ways this is where you know you could get really creative right and um i mean oh god That's just you can have equal parenting time. What else some people You can
0: have four, three, three schedules. You can two two
1: three five four.
0: (laughs) You can have alternating schedules like one week, which is so. And people ask me, I don't
1: know if you get this question, Shereen, but people would ask me what do what do people usually do? And I'm like, I wish I could tell you there is no usual.
0: It's so funny because I have to I for me to make that informed decision, I need to know what your schedules are. Because I can tell you what, you know, an XYZ schedule looks like, but if it's not going to be practical for both parties, then it doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, it has to be practical for you, practical for the children where they're going to school or pickups and drop-offs even, you mm-hmm. know, or I'm assuming pickups and drop-offs are pretty pretty known with, with what they actually mean. <laughs> so it's the time that you pick up or drop off the children mm-hmm. um, with the schedule that you have.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I've had... Um, you know, for practical reasons, sometimes let's say one party, um, is remaining in the matrimonial home and the matrimonial home is close to the children's school. Then it might be practical for the other parent to say, well, I'll just have the children, um, on the weekends. However, to just take all the weekends is sometimes not the fairest solution especially because especially for both
0: working families. Yeah, yeah,
1: and if the children are school age, th- th- that t- parenting time during the week is very limited because for the most part they're in school. So, um you you have so we we could say maybe every other weekend, right? And I know it's it's minimal time in some circumstances, but if you're, if you need to, you know, if one, if one party lives in say Toronto and the, and that's where the children are going to school and maybe for employment reasons, the other party is in Mississauga. Well, maybe, you know, a midweek visit might not be appropriate for them. It might be. So I, I, if you ask me what's the regular and I tell you it's, you know, equal parenting time every, every other week, is it best for your children for you to actually do that? And I think sort of, this is where the best interest of the children really need to come in like in everything that you do, right?
0: Yep, it prevails over everything. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so whether it's decision making responsibilities, whether it's crafting your your parenting schedules, you have to think in terms of what's in the best interest of the children. Yeah. And Shereen, when we're talking about the best interest of the child, like this is it's so important. Like you have you can refer to the um, to the act, either the Divorce Act or the Children's Law Reform Act, to to list sort of the that the factors that yeah. a court would consider when when thinking about the best interests of the child. So, do you want to touch on some of those very exactly. quickly? Exactly.
0: So, the primary consideration in the best interest is really the child's physical, emotional, phys- psychological safety, security, and well-being. But some of the factors that are related and actually are included in the best interest and when looking at what's most appropriate is the child's um, age, the stage of development, um, their need for stability, the nature and strength of their relationship between each parent um, and they're, if they're cis siblings, so half siblings also count or half um you know, um, steps. Stepsiblings. Step 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 thank really you. Step <laughs> step Grandparents, um, and you know the willingness of each party to support the other parent's relationship and development and maintenance with that child, um, and then the history of the care of the child, the child's views and preferences. Usually, this comes about when the child's usually at least twelve years old. Sometimes I've seen it at the age of ten. So mm-hmm. it depends, depends on, on the, the maturity, yeah, yeah maturity. it depends on the child's maturity and the circumstances surrounding that um, mm-hmm. that situation. Um, the child's cultural, linguistic, religious spiritual upbringing, so this is where you know if one party is not religious and the other party is religious, this is where we want to make sure that both parties are getting the ability to parent in that circumstance. Um, the willingness and the ability of each party to actually meet the care for the other party. So if, you know, one party is at work the majority of the time, it doesn't really make sense for them to have an equal parenting schedule. Um, And then any family violence that that may impact the schedule. So that's a great consideration and one that was actually even um, talked about more recently in the Divorce Act changes that really we need to look at the family violence dynamic and any circumstances relating to the family violent family violence dynamic and how that situation would apply with access yeah sorry be- parenting time
1: <laughs> still
0: still new old
1: old habits that I had right <laughs> so you right through red accent but yeah so when you're and um, when you're looking at family violence there is just this sort of increased uh, recognition of how parenting can if if, if there's if care and consideration isn't put into it, the the violence can perpetrate or the abuse can can continue because this, this parties have, are kind of tied, um because of the children that they have. So when making parenting orders, the courts like really have to pay attention to you know sort of how serious was the family violence, how frequent, Is there their pattern of maybe co- um coercive and controlling behaviors. Um, what risk would does this family violence have to the child and things like that? So there's a number of considerations, but um, you know, the family violence is really has been put front and center and has to be a consideration when thinking about the best interest of the child. It's always been, but I think now the courts just want to make sure that greater significance is as it's yeah, kind of, of course. Given so to like
0: it. even when we're looking at let's say there is a situation of family violence and maybe one party is more abusive to the other and you know it it may be verbal it may be physical regardless if it's an actual substantial violence then maybe having um you know joint decision making responsibility is not appropriate
1: exactly so and, that yeah you're right because it been... doesn't
0: make sense for them to have those discussions especially with that power imbalance it's mm-hmm. it's not it's
1: yeah so even yeah, even in this example you 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 use terrain you don't even need physical abuse if someone is controlling and and coercive and you 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 know you have joint decision making and but you don't really have a because, voice exactly then,
0: because if they're going to ultimately be the one sensibly making that decision even though and you just have to comply because out of fear or exactly fear of safety for whatever reason but ultimately for the fear of violence that that's not appropriate for you uh, to mm-hmm. have a joint decision because so you're not actually making a joint decision
1: and Shireen you touched on something that I want to um, expand on a little bit when i have clients that want to have joint decision making responsibilities i make it i i really caution them with picking their battles you cannot fight over every single thing so people feel that if they can prove to the courts that the other side is just this bad person that's causing all of these irritations or annoyance or whatever is the aggravating factors that's bringing up the conflict if they can show that the other party is the cause of the conflict then you know the courts would still grant them decision making because it's not their fault it's the other party's fault or even you know maybe on in some way they might even get like so parenting and honestly it, it's that's very far from the truth. It doesn't necessarily work that way, especially when you want joint um, decision making, because in some cases the party would actually say, I, I think, you know, XYZ is a great mom or great dad. I just they just pick at everything. And I I am not trying to minimize the
0: importance of parenting all
1: the things that are, are maybe upsetting you i i agree the other side is probably doing things wrong and they're irritating you i get that the fact that you're even in this separation process I know you didn't come here lightly. The other party, both parties, have done something, mm-hmm. I, regardless of of how you you know whoever you blame or whatever whatever the one incident is that blew things up. It takes two, so you know what? I've already shared the responsibility between the both of you, but you want to be very careful because from a court's perspective and looking at the best interests of a child, they can't you can't have joint decision making responsibility if you guys have conflict all the time. And it doesn't matter, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for the child. And I
0: think the reason why ultimately is because if you can't come to a decision, how do you get some finality there?
1: And again, don't try proving (laughs) to me or to the court that it's the other party's fault. They may agree with you that it's the other party's fault, but if it's in the best interest of the child for the other party to have um, sole decision-making responsibilities in this context... It doesn't matter. They will still get it. So think about it this way. You know, there's party A and party B. And party A is the one, you know, maybe causing conflict. That's what party B feels. If you keep picking up and arguing over everything and picking up over every conflict, and you guys are fighting all the time over everything, that's enough for party A to say, I don't think joint decision-making responsibility." would work and party b would be very surprised that how is it possible it's all party a's fault why are we why is this happening to me it's not happening to you the courts understand that party a might be aggravating you but what they're looking at is the best interest of the child and if under the circumstances they think party a is you know the better person for them to give the sole decision making responsibility to to avoid conflict they will do that yeah so um, I know that's usually a very hard, hard pill to swallow, but I always say, pick your battles. You know what? Just let it go. Let it go. And it's difficult, but you know what? Ultimately, it's it's best for the child. They don't want, we don't want children having to be exposed to... I don't know if saying exposed to conflict is the right way to put this because the children may actually not be there and they may not be physically exposed to the conflict, but somehow it affects the quality of decision making if there's too much conflict.
0: Exactly. And the courts have even um, asked that it's actually a duty that parents have to shield the children as best as possible from family conflict, from conflict in general. Yes. So you definitely want to keep your mind um, open to that. And then I think um, in in looking at kind of um, touching back on family violence, the one thing that you could look at is when you, let's say, for example, it's not appropriate during parenting time to do, um, you know, pickups and drop-offs at a specific, at the matrimonial home, for example, the former matrimonial home, then maybe it's appropriate to have supervised access exchanges, and there are facilities that offer that. So there would be a neutral third party that goes in and actually would facilitate just the exchange, or you could do pickups and drop offs just at a specific location, so school. So you want to limit the conflict as much as possible, especially in a c- circumstance where there is family violence. Yeah. So that's something that the court would order if it's appropriate.
1: Mm-hmm. People, It's interesting how, you know, when pickups and drop offs, it just seems so easy. You create the, <laughs> and you, you know, sometimes people don't put their mind to it. But yeah, you're right. It could really be. It causes a lot of conflict. If you if you if you're not comfortable with the other with your ex coming to your home, then maybe obviously just don't do that. I mean, we've used we've created parenting schedules where pick up and drop offs are at you know Tim Hortons. God bless them. McDonald's, <laughs> the the parking lot, right? Worst
0: case, the police station. I'm we not a fan that. of the we police station, that, but. but- but if, yeah. if, if it's, for example, if you know, maybe um, you know, parties don't have access to actually pay for a supervised access exchange, then it may be appropriate to do something that's free, but it still makes you feel a little more comfortable. But yeah. in a family violence situation, we could limit you know, contact altogether with on exchanges. So maybe a neutral party just goes okay. in and exchanges. Um, the children um, mm-hmm. during that time. Yeah, it
1: could be a paid service or it could be, you know, a trusted third party that's willing to do this for, for the party. Yeah, but you know them. another thing <laughs> with pick-up and drop-offs is the drive-in. Oh my God, people really get caught up. And I it seems like a minor detail, but when you think about how many years you might have to do the driving to pick up and drop off the children it's it's worth putting your mind to when you're drafting your parenting schedule so people would say what's normal well there's no normal because if you think in terms of normal so a simple example say um the parties lived in toronto and now one party's moved up to richmond hill and you know how do we do pick up and drop offs? right one party might actually feel like well i shouldn't do all the driving the other party should drive sometimes and yeah, they you know, want what's like,
0: fair. Sometimes it's either what's fair or most convenient. Yeah,
1: but really, is and it the fair? Is, that's you, not moved, how it works. you moved to exactly. Richmond Hill. Is it fair? But now that again, I pose that question not to put an answer in there because I've been in that situation where it looked like it wasn't fair. You know, the, um, the ex partner moved out, you know, moved several kilometers away from the matrimonial home, and my client had to do the driving. But when you, you know, when a judge weighed in on the issue, it, it was the judge said, well, for my client being the one staying at home at the time and the ex having to start work very early and then she having to pick the children back to a different city. It made more sense in that context to actually have my client do the pickup. Did that sound necessarily sound fair? No.
0: Oh, absolutely. But, but it worked for the truth. Exactly. child will always prevail. So if you have, you know, let's say downtown the traffic in Toronto would be pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and you have maybe a midweek visit. It would be more appropriate if the other party can facilitate that that exchange yes. who lives you know maybe not but in if you're the, the party that child. if you're
1: the party that has to do the driving to go drop there you're going to be like why don't we just scrap that visit then <laughs> but the court is going to say no we want to make sure that the child has as much parenting time with the other parent so you know if you have to do a little bit of driving then that's what it has to be so
0: and that's in line with the maximum contact principle.
1: Yeah. So what is the maximum contact principle? <laughs> Honestly, it's just it's just it's, a concept that's
0: Yeah, it's really each party's obligation. So let's say um if, Really, the parent's obligation to ensure the other parent has as much parenting time as possible with the other party as maximum time. I don't
1: know if I would say it's a parent's obligation
0: okay, to fine. the other. I would. I you're reason. you're
1: raising you're raising the bar really high. I really like it, the, the way I I interpret it is just that both um, parties have a right, or the children have the right to enjoy maximum time with both parents to the extent that it is in their best interest exactly so we come back again to this best interest of the child and the mistake we often make um, in the profession is a lot of people equate maximum contact with equal parenting couldn't be further from the truth because the amount of time each child gets to spend with the parent has to be in their best interest maybe in it would mean in some situation it would mean equal parenting time would be what's if
0: it's appropriate appropriate. yeah
1: oh in some cases what might be appropriate might be one visit a month like oh god i hope that's not the case but you know but in in some cases that may be appropriate again tying back to family violence maybe the children were exposed to it and now there's you know there's resistance with spending time with that parent and maybe the maximum time that's in the best interest of the child in that context it's just you know one visit every month so again every family situation is different but you have to think what's in the best interest of the child there's studies after study after study have shown that children benefit from having both um, parents input on the de- on decision making and having um, maximum time with both parents it just helps the children's growth and development and all of that and that's sort of what the entire family system, I guess not just the courts, the mediators the uh, the parenting professionals that's sort of what we're what we're trying to accomplish when we're trying to create this schedule now with the schedule that we've talked about sort of equal parenting time every other weekend different days of the week week about where the child spends one week here and another week there because equal parenting could take different forms right yeah, it, it could be, be like
0: two days on two, two days, days off yeah four days, like so many different ways to split a week
1: I sure you did say earlier you you When you want to draft a parenting schedule, you start off by trying to know the parents and the children's routines, and then it helps us kind of fit what works. There's no normal. There's also
0: no one size fits all. So we understand that, you know, while this is a nice parenting um, schedule, you know, for this year, it may not be appropriate the next year. Mm -hmm. So the children, as the children grow older, their needs evolve, and so will the schedule. So it's important to not fixate on one very specific idea of how a schedule is going to look because the children, with their schedules changing there's even nothing set the in year. stone with respect to parenting yeah that is a very very common thing i think that a lot of people don't put their mind to but it, it's never set in but stone. but
1: even think within the year though what are the exactly. number of times like especially even looking
0: at the schedule now there is no school so where do you pick up where do you drop yeah. off
1: but even i know like sometimes with and i find this with teenage um, children then sometimes they have you know time with your friends and they want to do this like they now, change
0: the schedule so
1: you want to be you want to maintain a flexible position i think is what exactly. i always say you just want to be flexible with with parenting and if you know don't that's a, if a, if a teenage child wants to go spend time with their friends well it might mean that you're being robbed of your time but you know what it's it's a phase you yeah. take maybe you just take them to that event bring them back and get whatever time you want i don't know Depend well <laughs> Again, you would have to do what works for your family. But what about holidays? So we have to look at holidays. Exactly. That's part of the schedule, right? You have to tell Yeah, so
0: like something I like to include. I mean, sometimes like there are people who have shift schedules, so some they won't even be able to they'll let's just say both parties are pretty amicable. We can just add like a very flexible, generous arrangement in there. Um, but most of the time we add a very specific holiday schedule. So mm-hmm. Christmas, who's going to spend that time? Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's,
1: um Yes. Um Well, there's other religious holidays. Eid, yes. for example. Um, um. Some people are particular about Eid. Other people <laughs> don't care. There's Jewish holidays as yeah. well. Yeah.
0: Even like your first communion, like they people want to add very specific events in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um. In addition to that, their summer schedule, March break, things like and that. all the
1: public holidays that seem oh, to come yeah. on every the almost PA every month. Days. <laughs> yes, PA days. So you want to think about it and it may just be all we're trying to do is get you to think about things. So it may be that you want the PA day to follow the regular schedule or maybe you want PA days to be treated differently, and maybe you alternate the PA days and not have it follow the regular schedule, right? If you're if you're a parent, for example, that um, has the children the less, weekend. yeah, maybe just weekends, every other weekend or something. Then the parent, the PA days might be significant to you because. It extends those weekends for you. Um, you know, public holidays is a big one because, you know, people have traditions around these holidays, right? And Thanksgiving. And
0: have time off work for the most part. So yeah. These are actually time that you have available, especially if maybe you do only alternate weekends and maybe a
1: few it, it, But you know sometimes... Um, but this they're is,
0: significant. It's,
1: it's an area of conflict for people because... A lot. <laughs> people think the parent with less time would say, well, you know, she has or he has... All this time with the children, why can't I just have the long weekends? Well, the reason is a lot of times the children, when the, the parenting time is really not fun time, right? Yeah. It's, It's just routine. They go to school, they come back, you feed them. Like those long weekends, even the parent that's primarily with the children, they look forward to that long weekend. That's the time they get to also have fun time. So I know the parent with less time would sometimes feel cheated and feel like it's the least the other parent can do. But just look at it sometimes from their perspective. It's, You know, it's also their time to to have more um, fun time with the children. Yeah,
0: I mean, if you go in with the position that I should get every holiday and, you know, all of that just because I don't have regular or she, you know, the other party has more of a parenting time. You're not going to be successful just because you know it, it doesn't really make sense and again like the fun time versus practical actual you know day-to-day time yeah they're very different um so you definitely want to put your mind to a holiday schedule that would look like um and yeah i think in moving with
1: that um so what if you have um conflict so there could be conflict with creating the plan but even I guess my biggest fear is even after we've created it, the day-to-day sort of management of the parenting day-to-day, plan. or
0: even joint um major decisions. Sometimes you might have conflict there. You can have conflict in parenting time, the decision making, really all of it, and that's usually where we add um if you have a court order or an agreement, um we actually add in dispute resolution clauses, which say there's many different ways to go about it, but particularly we try doing parenting coordination if that's unsuccessful. Then you can do mediation if that's unsuccessful. I
1: usually like to just take... Because with parenting coordinators, they're essentially arbitrators. So for me, if you're... I mean, personally, my style is if you're dealing with a parenting coordinator, then that's it. A very
0: parenting-specific issue, it makes sense. Yeah,
1: Yeah. then they just make... You know, they listen to both of you, try to get you to settle, doesn't work. Then you guys, um, you know, should... I mean, just let them make the decision one one way or the other because... I mean, that's why you guys have, have the parenting coordinators to help you. It's faster. It's a more summary process than trying to go back to the courts to to deal with that issue. And and I, as Shereen had mentioned, like alternate dispute resolution, it's now actually, it well, it's always kind of been, but again, it's reiterated now that you shall consider alternative dispute resolution options when it comes to parenting um, issues. Before um, we sort to the court, where possible, yes. always again where possible. Sometimes it's not appropriate, but I I, I challenge you do really try. It is appropriate yeah, it in shall. a lot of cases. <laughs> when yeah, the word
0: "shall" in there, it's an obligation that yeah. you have, and it it's a new duty that's been afforded in the new um, amendment. So definitely want to consider. Of course I mean in, in the circumstance of, of cost and time it makes sense to explore mm-hmm. these options. Again if there are but
1: even practical reasons, like how much judicial resources do you have available to sit with you and go over who gets what holiday, like the judges or, don't you, have the time to it's do very, that. Um
0: time time pressing issue, like it doesn't make sense to where the court system is slow (laughs) but i
1: hate sort of the all or nothing so you put your schedule i put my schedule and the court and that well maybe they even picked one that might be fine sometimes they don't don't even pick either and then they create something that absolutely doesn't work for your work your children and trust
0: me when i say that that's happened
1: yeah and now you have to go back and try to change it both parties are especially unhappy so obviously they wanted the judges know that you, you're you better off negotiating that settlement when it comes to your children. You know your family better. Yeah, and the last
0: thing the court wants to do is sit down and pick up and drop off times and, you know, the nitty-gritty. And the reality is there's not enough time during these court appearances to actually go through comprehensively what a schedule looks like.
1: So, and if you're in a trial situation, the judge's role for the most part is just to listen to both parties, just advocate, and then they go make a decision, right? Exactly. So Um. long story short, we're saying alternative dispute resolution options work best for you. We'll try to negotiate for you. That doesn't work. There's collaborative family law, mediation, and obviously there's arbitration, which a lot of the parenting coordinators would do for you. So let's say um, you're in a situation where for whatever reason you have limited parenting time because the other party is insisting that you don't have
0: the ability, yeah, Or the capability of, you know, caring or, you know, maybe not experienced enough. So.
1: And I, it's, it's it's interesting and touching. It's very common. And I know it's a very interesting and touching subject because a lot of times, especially when you have new parents and. And so, and again, this is not to pick on women, more power to us as moms, (laughs) but a lot of times we feel like we, I I don't know, something about that nine months we carried the child, we just feel like we really know how to care for the child. It's, and the other but we feel like the dad just doesn't know how to care yeah, for the child properly. Well,
0: yeah, sometimes you could feel like they're not in tune with the child's needs and maybe doesn't really know. What no, but do doing you know
1: how many right. times but, our male clients would say, "Well, we're both first-time parents. Exactly. We don't have any more experience than I" than I do. So what I suggest, and I suggest this to both parties, is there's parenting courses and programs that are out there. Of course. And the courts would
0: even recommend it if there's, you know, a dispute with respect to another parent's, you know, ability to parent. And you Know getting that kind of understanding as to basics sometimes, Mm -hmm. and there's even advanced programs, so they you
1: know, you know, what what some clients have actually told me they actually learned something like as it might be upsetting at first, but sometimes, like, they learn simple strategies and tools. I mean, parenting is a journey as as a parent myself, (laughs) it is an art and a skill, yeah. Science and everything, (laughs) (laughs) there's no science to it, no, there's none. You just it's just a journey, and you do the best that you can, and you. Try to improve yourself as a parent the best that you can, right? So uh, we just wanted to make sure that we mentioned that there's parenting courses and programs that are available. You can take them proactively whether or not um, you're being, whether your parenting abilities are being challenged. But if it is, then that's probably a good way to just end the conversation and just, you know, get that extra extra training as unfair as it may be and as I, as we said sometimes we actually ask both sides to to take them just so that exactly. nobody feels um, picked on Um. so Sherry, is there anything else you wanted to touch on on this topic i think i'm good
0: i think we've covered a lot and hopefully <laughs> you take something away from here and maybe even when you're having that discussion about parenting you can put your mind to what that looks like and now now having understanding of what decision making responsibilities look like what day-to-day decisions look like you know what a schedule, including including a holiday schedule, looks like. So a lot of different areas that go into parenting.
1: Yeah. So maybe let's give let maybe let's leave you with this test. So um, when you are thinking about parenting, remember what's the difference between major decision making responsibilities and day to day decisions? Who gets to make um, major decisions and who gets to make day to day decisions? Here's a tip: day to day decisions are made by the party who has the children in their care at the time Um, you also want to think of what schedule works for your family on a day-to-day and there's different options and (laughs) what holidays matter to you and how do you want to share it you may decide to share all holidays or you may just pick the few that mean something to you and then let the rest um the other party have the rest whatever right because i I mean i do know for some families for example they have their christmas dinners on a
0: different day yeah on
1: christmas eve for some people it's the traditional christmas eve While maybe dad's family is on christmas day so hey that solves the problem right there right so things like that um and just think about you know how if there's a dispute in the future because there will be even parties that are still together parenting do have conflicts on how on decisions affecting their children Put your mind to how do you want to resolve these disputes um, when they do come up and, you know, alternative dispute resolution options are your go to. And if you're able to engage a parenting coordinator to just have their working with you along the way, that's fantastic. And yeah, and I I mean, I think that kind of summarizes everything we've talked about. So all the best as you make your parenting decisions. If you need our help, you know where to find us, you know, on the phone, 905-492-7662. Info at y-canada.com is our email address. And we wish you all the best.
0: Thank you. Have a great day. You Bye. too.
1: Bye.
0: Thanks for listening and joining us in the AP Legal Zone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find more episodes by searching AP Legal Zone on anywhere you watch podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast today so you can stay connected with any updates and get notified about any new episodes.